We are looking forward to that. Rangila is always a good thing to do. And then um, for the night that you don't go to Rangila, there's a play happening both this weekend and next weekend. Some of you are already able to go to it. It's called Here I Am. And it's verbatim theater, and it's been collected voices from the Calvin community around issues of technology and rest and relationships and a bit of Sabbath. So if you're curious as to how those conversations are happening on campus, I encourage you. It's at 7 o'clock in the Lab Theater this coming weekend and next weekend. It's free, um, but generally they tend to fill up pretty quickly. So if you're going to go, go early. I get there by about 6.40 to be sure to get a seat. Again, the play is Here I Am. Um, Dave Ellens from our off-campus program office is the a compiler and editor and artist behind the play, so we encourage you to check that out. On Sunday evenings, we take an offering for the Community Care Fund. And um, I'm hoping within, uh, maybe after spring break, we'll be able to get some testimonies from students who benefited from the Community Care Fund. Those of you uh, who keep giving, we're so grateful for it. Uh, we have students who come with emergency needs and we are able to uh, meet their needs because of your generosity. And if you think the buck that you give every week is not making a difference, it is. So thank you for your faithfulness and let's keep giving. Let's give now. God, our Father, we thank you for the power that you show in the creation of the world. God the Son, we thank you for the mercy that you show in the redemption of the world. God the Holy Spirit, we thank you for the stamina you show as you continue to sanctify this world. We thank you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for calling us to worship tonight. 
We thank you for the healing that we have witnessed in the life of John Dieterle. We thank you that after his long ordeal in ICU, he's finally moving into rehab. We thank you that you have sustained his family through hours and hours of waiting. And Lord, we pray for healing. We pray that as he makes the transition into this rehab hospital, that you will provide him with exactly the right people, the right therapists, the right nurses, the right physicians who can continue to heal him. We long for him to be back here among us. So bring healing and wholeness into his life. We pray that for all of us. We think about those of us who have been in accidents recently or have even just fallen on the ice and suffered through colds. Lord, we thank you that you are a God who brings healing and help us never to take for granted what our bodies are able to do. So help us, too, to care well for our bodies and to sleep well and enough and to eat good things and to take time for friends. So, Lord, help us to invest well in these things that help sustain us so that six days a week we can do our work with vigor and joy and on the seventh day we can rest. Oh, Lord, we thank you for rest. Forgive us when we are so tempted to keep moving because we can't imagine what the world would be like if we stopped. Keep calling us into rest. We thank you for events like Rangila that allow our students to teach us about our world. We pray for all the performers as they practice this week and get ready, and may it be a wonderful event that brings glory to you. We thank you for the stories that Dave Ellens collects from our community and then teaches back to us, and we pray a blessing on that production that it will be used to provoke good discussion about what technology is doing for us and maybe to us. Give us wisdom. Lord, we thank you for the Community Care Fund. We thank you for the students who are blessed by it. We thank you for students who come on behalf of other students and say, I think my friend needs this. Thank you for cultivating that level of compassion among us. You are a wonderful God. You are a kind and good God. We are so glad to be in this place today to hear your word and to eat the feast we thank you for the elders of Oakdale Park Church, and we pray a blessing on Oakdale Park as they continue to be a light in that corner of the city. Bless their pastoral staff, bless their elders and deacons, bless all of them so that they can be a light to the world. And now, Lord, as we turn to your word, we pray that you will open it up to us. Holy Spirit, I pray that you speak through me tonight and into the hearts of these, your dear children, so they hear what you need them to hear. And we pray this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So we've been working our way through the big hallmark doctrines that we study around here at Calvin. Last week was creation, which means this week is and next week will be? And the week after that? Yes, creation, fall, redemption, consummation. That's what we're working through. And so tonight we are looking at the fall, which is when, uh, when everything kind of got messed up. 
So where do you think we're going to go and look at that? Genesis, you got a chapter? Three, yes. Genesis 3, found on page 2 and 3 in your pew Bibles. Genesis 3. We're reading the whole chapter. Hear the word of the Lord. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the middle of the garden, nor touch it, or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, told you that you were naked. Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to me, she gave me the fruit, and I ate. The Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent tricked me, and, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you among all animals, And among all wild creatures, upon your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your pangs in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Yet your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to the man, he said, because you listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree about which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. You are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man named his wife Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made garments of skin for the man and his wife and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, See, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, and now... He might reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man 
And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a sword flaming and turning to guard the way to the tree of life. This is the word of the Lord. So when you hear of a grave injustice, like what happened to the 21 Coptic Christians from Egypt, what's your response? When you hear about 21 people who were murdered and their murder was filmed and then edited to make their killers look particularly good, And when you see the faces of the grieving, their family and their friends who are deep in mourning, what's your response? Do you want justice? Do you want them caught and caught soon? Do you want them crushed? Do you want them to suffer? the way that they have made other people suffer? Do you want that? Do you want justice? Yeah. Or what about some of the deep pains that we collect in our life? Some of you carry some pretty deep wounds. You were hurt by somebody maybe in high school, maybe an ex-boyfriend or an ex-girlfriend. Some of you have been assaulted. And you carry those wounds with you all the time. When you think about the person who caused those deep wounds, who intentionally sought to hurt you, what's a response? You want justice. You want things put right. You want the person held accountable. You want things put back the way they're supposed to be. So what if the people who murdered the Christians were captured? Let's say they were captured by part of the army from the country of Jordan. So the country of Jordan has these people, they have them in custody, and they decide, you know, we we don't really want ISIS mad at us and... It was like a one-time thing. It was kind of weird, but, you know, we're just going to let it go because we just really want to be nice. You know, we we just think that's a a high value, and uh, we're just going to be nice and just let them go. Then what would be the response? Egypt would be outraged. Everyone fighting against ISIS would be outraged. Every Christian around the world would be outraged. You're going to be nice? I'm sorry. To killers, you're going to be nice. You're just going to let them go. You've got to be kidding. Or imagine if the person who assaulted you was taken into judicial affairs, and Dean Hendricksma sat the person down across from her and was talking about the incident and what happened, and she thought, you know, it's not that big of a deal. It was his first time. Maybe he was drinking. He wasn't in his good frame of mind. 
kind of like this kid. I want this kid to like me. I'm just going to be nice. I'm just going to let him go. I'm just going to let him go. What would your response be? You would be furious. You would feel like you were victimized all over again. Because when someone has willingly set aside good and chosen evil, we want justice. When someone has stepped over their limits, when they have been blatant and defiant and disobedient, we want them held accountable. We want justice. We want things put back just the way they were supposed to be. We want people who hurt people to be held accountable. We want justice. Except maybe when we read Genesis 3. Did you ever read Genesis 3 and think, you know, God could have been a little nicer. I mean, he could have been. He could have called Adam and Eve over and said, Adam, Eve, all right, I know you guys are new here. <laughs> so I'm just going to go over this again. We're just going to review the rules one more time. Trees you can eat, trees you can't eat from. We're just going to go over it one more time, and then I'm just going to let you go. Because it's no big deal. It's okay. It's all right. Because if we're honest... There's part of us that kind of wants God to be nice. We kind of want him to look the other way. Just give me a pass this time. Just be nice. Be like Santa Claus in the sky who just gives me good stuff. No coal in my stocking. We kind of want God to be nice. And in this passage of scripture, God is not nice. He goes oldest school on these folks. He curses the serpent, like he just curses them straight up. Cursed are you, woo! <laughs> up until then it's like, I'm gonna make trees and they're good, I'm gonna make the sky and it's good, everything's good. You are cursed, whoa! It's like a whole new shift in personality, who is this? And he curses the serpent. And he says to the woman, I'm going to increase your pain and childbearing. Thanks a lot, Eve. <laughs> he says to the man, I'm going to make your work a lot harder. Every time you lose something on your computer, it's the fall. That's what it's about. <laughs> I'm going to make everything harder and more painful. It's like, oh, why can't God be nice? Because when we use the word nice, is that me crackling there? Okay. <laughs> I'm just gonna keep talking. We're gonna roll with it. When we use the word nice, we're usually talking about it in a sense of, I'm gonna do what I can to get out of this situation with you still liking me. I'm, I'm just gonna be nice. Let me give you an example. Let's say you're sitting at the coffee table of your choice. Maybe it's in your dorm, your apartment, your house. You're sitting there, you're waiting for your friend to come back 
she's been on her first date with this particular young person. She comes back, sits down at the table, and you say, well, how did it go? She says, yeah, mm. it was okay. And you say, oh, oh, I, I, you're not going to go out with him again? She's like, well, I don't know. Well, did he ask you if you wanted to go out again? Yes. Well, what did you say to him <laughs> in words? I said that would be nice. Why? Why did you say that would be nice? You are obviously not at all interested in this. You see no future for this. Why did you say that? I, I was trying to be nice. <laughs> and so then you know how it goes, right? There's the second date and the third date and the fourth date and the fifth date and her feelings don't change and he's thinking something's going on here. This is moving in a good direction. And then on the fifth date, she's got to say to him, actually, I really don't want to see you again. And then it's bad and it's ugly and his friends are upset and her friends are upset and it's a whole big thing because she was nice and she wasn't kind. Niceness says I'm going to make it look like I'm caring about you, but really I'm caring about me. Kindness says, I'm going to care about you more than I care about me. I'm going to have your long-term interests at heart. I am going to care about you, even in this particular moment, it's going to be a little awkward for me. Kindness makes the story look like this. She sits down at the table. You say, how did the date go? She says, yeah, it wasn't so good. So I told him, thank you so much for asking me out. I want to be clear. I don't really see this going anywhere. But again, thanks for tonight. And then I came inside. That's kindness. Can we have a little more kindness in the house? Okay. That's kindness. It's, I will own this moment of awkwardness instead of letting you have this little fantasy that something else is happening. I'm going to care for your long-term future. I'm going to invest in you and the long-term benefits in your life, even if it costs me. I'm going to be kind to you. I'm going to care for you and your long-term interests. God is not nice. And that's a really good thing. God is incredibly kind. It's God's kindness that leads him to send Adam and Eve out of the garden. The Lord God said, see, the man's become like one of us, knowing good and evil, and now he might reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. He drove him out. He placed the cherubim and a sword flaming and turning. You see, God wants to spend eternity with Adam and Eve. 
That's why he made them. He's a big fan of Adam and Eve. He loves Adam and Eve. So far, of all the people on earth, they are the favorite. (laughs) He loves them. He wants to spend eternity with them. And he can't if they remain in the state of disobedience. If they remain in a state of rebellion. If they remain fallen. He cannot be eternal with him, with them. He doesn't want that. And so he doesn't want them to eat from the other tree because the other tree would trap them in their sin. There would be no prospect for reunion because they would just be trapped in their brokenness and in their sin and in their fallenness. So he says, the garden, which has been a place of nurture and delight, has become a place of danger and threat. They need to get out as soon as possible for their own good. For their own good. God does not want them to be trapped in their sin. And he doesn't want that for us either. He does not want us to be trapped in our sin. Some of us have made commitments, promises to do things differently during the season of Lent because we've got some sin that's just slowing us down. Weights around the ankles is how the author of Hebrews puts it and it's just, it's slowing us down. It's not helping us out and we're gonna do what we can to kind of shake some of that off during this season. Just kind of shake it off. I'm sorry, that was... We're just going to let that go. Um, We're just going to kind of get rid of that sin. We just want to push it aside. Because we know how it traps. It climbs like ivy. It just becomes all over us. And God says, I don't want you to be trapped that way for the rest of eternity. So get out of the garden. Lest you eat of the tree of life and you just be stuck. There's this interesting verse in Psalm 116 that says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And scholars talk about what is going on in this verse. And they have a couple of approaches. One of them is this saint has lived a beautiful life, a life in which they've been close to God, but not as close as they will be. And after death, they are with God in a way that they've never been able to be before. But also, scholars say, the death is precious because the saint who has been struggling day in and day out to keep from sinning is finally free from sin. Free from sin. The daily battle that we all do is done. It's done at death. We are free from sin. God didn't want us to be trapped in our sin, and so he sent them out of a garden and away from the tree of life and allows there to be an end to the earthly sinning. He doesn't want us to be trapped in our sin. And so he sends them out. 
but he doesn't send them out without hope, right? He doesn't send them out of the garden without hope. He says, there will come someday a conqueror. There will come someday a savior. There will come someday from the descendants of the woman, a child, and he will crush the head of the serpent, and there will be no more sin. Can you imagine a world with no sin? Imagine a world with no sin. Imagine evening news with no sin. Imagine the Daily Show with no sin. Imagine a world with no sin. And it will be that way someday because justice will have been paid. And it will have not been paid by Adam and it will not be paid by Eve and it will not be paid by you. It will not be paid by me. Isaiah describes the person who will pay. He was despised and rejected by others, a man of suffering and acquainted with infirmity, and as one from whom others hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him of no account. But he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that made us whole, and by his bruises we are healed. God is not nice, but God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, God is very kind. And did you notice that God also does one more thing for them before he sends them out? What does he do for them? He makes them clothes. He makes them garments out of skin. He puts clothes on them. And the people who would have first heard or read this account would have found that so moving because in that culture, when you sent a child out to get married, you would put a fresh garment on them. And in the hem of the garment, you would make a nice big hem. And in the hem of the garment, you would sew in coins so that you would send your child out with his or her inheritance. So that you would send them out with everything they would need to flourish in their new place. You send them out with blessing. You send them out with provision. You send them out with joy with coins in their clothing. So God does not send them out and turn his back. God does not send them out and say, I'm done with you. God sends them out with everything they need to flourish in the world. God provides whatever they need to flourish in the world. And he's still doing that. Day by day, meal by meal, 
conversation with friend by conversation with friend. He is giving us what we need as we set on Ash Wednesday to turn from sin and turn toward Jesus. Every day. To turn from sin and turn toward Jesus. And that is most clearly seen in the feast. Will we remember the one who took our sin, the sin of the whole world, upon him so that someday we will be united with God? God is not nice, but he is very kind. Will you pray with me? Our kind God, as the scriptures say, it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. It's your kindness that makes us want to turn from sin and turn toward Jesus. It's your kindness that brings us to this table. So thank you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for giving us everything we need to turn from sin and turn toward Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and after he blessed God, he broke it. And he said, this is my body given for you. Do this to remember me. He said, this is a new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. Therefore, whenever you drink this cup and eat this bread, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Will you pray with me? Lord, our God, we ask that you send your Holy Spirit so that this, this bread and this cup may be for us the body and, and blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, we sit here with friends next to fellow believers and we're reminded of the joy that this community brings. But we also remember the church of all times and of all places. We think of your saints wherever they are. And we ask that we be united with them in Christ so that we may remain faithful in, in love and in hope. Lord, we, we gather here and we ask that you gather us up, your church, into your kingdom. Lord, we lift up our hearts to you, our creator, our redeemer, and sustainer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We say together the words of the Apostles' Creed. 
which are recited by our brothers and sisters around the world and through the ages. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen.